Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne, and I'm here today with my new friend Lauren, who is an associate marriage and family therapist in the state of Texas, and a mom and a Jesus lover. And so we are here to talk about family therapy today. So welcome, Lauren. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. So Lauren, I'd like you just to tell us a few things about yourself since I'm just meeting you too. I'm eager to get to know you a little bit. So what's life like? Sure. Life right now is a little chaotic. I have a three-year-old little boy and a four-year-old girl at home with me currently. So I stay home three days a week and they go to preschool the other two while I work. So I am here in a private practice in Richardson, a suburb of Dallas. I took some time off from private practice while we were having children and decided to go back during the pandemic. I thought obviously there would be a big need and it just helped give some variety for me. And prior to having children, I did a private practice down in Austin. And prior to that, did some in-home family therapy through a community mental health program. Yeah, the days that I'm working uh, are pretty full. Seeing clients there, I see uh, a wide variety. We'll talk some about that um, Mm -hmm. later. And then obviously the days that I'm home, I'm doing mom stuff, mom life. Um, Today, we just got back or yesterday, we got back from vacation. So all the joy that comes with <laughs> getting back in the swing of things has been happening today. So even vacationing with preschoolers doesn't always feel like a vacation. No, we call it a trip, not a yeah, vacation. There you go. <laughs> Good. Well, today we're, this is the third episode in a series about family therapy. So if you're listening to this today and you'd like to hear it, a little bit more about our topic. Uh, first week was let's talk about Bruno. That was our episode about Encanto and the family dynamics that go on there. The second week was about childhood trauma and overcoming generally generational curses and, and generational trauma. We are going to talk today about family therapy and what it might look like if your family is a family that could benefit Uh, from therapy. So I think a lot of people, especially if you haven't even been to individual therapy or couples therapy before, the idea of bringing your whole family and sitting down in a room could be very scary and daunting. So Lauren, what I'd like you to do right now, um, and let me just say this too, that the reason that I invited Lauren to come talk about this is because yes, I'm a marriage and family therapist. It's in the title, but in my practice, I don't see as many families right now. So because it's not something that I do every single day, I wanted somebody who has just a lot more experience with that modality. So Lauren, can you tell us uh, when somebody calls and says, I think my family might need some family therapy, like walk us through the process of getting that started. Sure. That's a great question. It's really not as scary as it sounds. (laughs) And so, yeah, if someone calls and, and asks about family therapy, I would probably just do like 
uh, an intake like I would do with any of my clients, you know, tell me what's bringing you to counseling and why now, what is it that you hope to get out of counseling? So usually they'll share kind of whatever the issues are that are going on and what they would like, you know, it to look like if life was better all of a sudden. And so you can hear a variety of answers. Um, So it may be one person in the family is kind of uh, exhibiting problem behaviors and everybody wants to, it's impacting everyone and everyone wants to rally around that person and all come in together. It could be more like relational dynamics are the problem, you know, maybe two siblings aren't getting along or a parent-child relationship. There's a lot of conflict, you know, especially in the teenage years or the Mm -hmm. adolescent years and just how it's potentially disrupting the family or impacting the family. Um, So listening for some of what, you know, they're saying is what's prompting them to come in. And then I would kind of offer a variety of options of how to bring everybody in. Sometimes the parents can come in first. um, And I tell this to all of my clients, coming in for one session does not commit you to anything. Um, Even if you've come for months, you're never committed to, you know, a certain amount of time. It's what you feel comfortable with and what you feel like is helpful. So oftentimes the parents will come first just to kind of see if we're a good fit um, or talk more, you know, in person and hear, see the space even. Sometimes the family's just real laid back and open and they're like, no, we're fine. We'll just all come in. And so, you know, it's really up to them. We do um, have to have an adult present in the first session. So, you know, if there is a teenager or child involved, obviously that adult has to be there to sign the paperwork. But family therapy can be even extended family. Um, It could be grandparents. It can be non-blood related family supports, whether they live in the home or they live down the street. At times there are, you know, consents and things involved for those non-family family members. And so, yeah, that initial conversation, finding out what's going on, getting the foot in the door. And then I think, you know, if the parents are the first ones that come, um, I like to kind of just start off the first session, even with like a little activity. It could be a game, um, depending on the age of the kids, if there are, you know, more than one, if there is more than one child doing some sort of play therapy, just to get everybody comfortable. Talk therapy doesn't always work for everyone. So um, just again, having something to break the ice and kind of break that stereotype perhaps of what therapy could look like, maybe what you've seen in the movies or something (laughs) and just get everybody loosened up. And then I also try to start in that first session by asking what's working or what are some of the family's strengths. Of course, we want, you know, the problems to be addressed and the things that aren't working to be changed. But I find that it's helpful to kind of refocus on things that are going well for me to find those out and and hopefully build on those, whether it's, you know, family vacations, if that's going well, okay, so y'all enjoy doing some things together. Can we, you know, maybe do that on a more regular basis, things like that. So, you know, the initial phone call, that first session, and then the meeting, you know, with the parents are kind of a couple things I try to do in the beginning to help people feel more comfortable and understand what family therapy could be like. Mm -hmm. So then after that, do you tend to have 
all the members present every single time, or do you end up working with like individuals or, or different dyads, groups of two people? It really just depends on the family unit and what, you know, the identified problem is. But I would say, yes, there are times when it makes more sense for me to meet with the mom and the daughter, if that's where like the majority of the conflict is happening or, you know, just the kids, you know, in, in issues of divorce, you know, if, if one parent is trying to repair a relationship that was impacted by absence, you know, and the kids are not (laughs) on board with it yet, you know, maybe I meet with just the kids and then bring the parent in at the end of sessions. Yeah, it can look a lot of different ways. Or sometimes it would be just the parents, you know, a couple of sessions in a month or six weeks in, let's meet again and let's find out how we think it's going. Oftentimes that can be, co-parenting can be something that can be revealed as, you know, something that needs to be improved. Um, And it wouldn't make sense to have the kids involved in all of those conversations. We want the parents to be on the same page before we let's say, introduce, you know, some new family rules to the kids. So something like that would be beneficial to have, you know, a separate meeting. Do you find that more families come to you in crisis or, because I'm just thinking about this. If, if I were to call a family therapist for my family to go, like, I feel like something would be really wrong. And and so I'm thinking that a lot of times, like you said, it could be a, a behavior issue. It could be, like you said, divorce, some kind of trauma that your family's been through, or maybe even like substance use in one of the members or an eating disorder in one of the members or another mental health problem. So it seems like usually family therapy comes up in these crisis situations. Is that what you find? Yes. I think for the most part, yes. I think most people, a lot of people, I should say, may not even realize that family therapy is an option. You know, oh, my child is having this behavior all of a sudden, I found this, you know, in their room, quick reaction, let me call somebody and get them in to see someone, you know, Um, and it may be me even introducing the idea over the phone that they realize, oh, okay. Um, And I would say particularly for teenagers and kids, even if they don't end up going the family therapy route, I still pull in the parents, you know, at least once a month, whether it be with a phone call or an email, just so that the kids and teenagers are in the home seven days a week and they're coming to me once a week. Right. And so the parents are still going to have the biggest impact, um, on their child. But for those that are doing family therapy, yes, I think they reach a point where they realize we need some help outside of what we can do or outside of our natural support. You know, maybe it's not full on crisis in the sense, like clinically we would say, okay, something else needs to happen here and outside, you know, referral to a higher level of care. But in the family's mind, yes, it is a crisis because they are at their wit's end. You know, often it's been the behavior or the problem has been going on for so long that they don't know what else to do. I would say you ever have families that are just kind of like things are going okay, but we just would like it to be better. Or we're just coming back for like maintenance to keep things running smooth. Do you get that? Well, I would say I used to more before the pandemic. (laughs) And I think the pandemic obviously has disrupted normalcy. And so 
we're just in a constant state of crisis. I don't feel like families for the most part that I have seen have the capacity to get everybody there, right. you know, um, yeah. for family therapy. So mm-hmm. you work with what you get, you know, and whoever is, is willing to show up and do the work, then, you know, that's who we'll work with that day. Like I said, it may end up being another phone call or email to try to coordinate or to set up a future session where, you know, those people can be involved. But that I feel like has changed just because Mm -hmm. everything's so limited and our, we're just under so much stress that the idea of getting everyone, you know, together. I I find, because I work with a lot of couples, I find that there are probably more couples that approach that, that they're like, you know, the marriage is going okay, but we would like to be more intimate or we would like to communicate better or something. And so there's not really like this big problem, like infidelity or substance abuse or something Mm -hmm. like that, but they still just want to have those touch-ups, but I don't think families get that opportunity so much. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe if there's someone that had done individual before or marital before and is familiar with the concept of therapy and it's not as intimidating or unfamiliar, you know, they could be more proactive in, in taking that step. But yes, I, for the most part, find the majority of the clients are in some sort of crisis or at the point that they need change to happen before making that call. Yeah. Okay. So I want to take you in two different directions next. And one is, um, let's talk a little bit about like the actual clinical work that you do. And if you'd like to talk about kind of like the theoretical approach or some type of interventions that you use, things like that, like help us understand how it works and like what you're doing, what you're accomplishing when you're in a session or, or over the course of therapy. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, so let's kind of take a, a typical family. Um, so again, I would say most typical families that do come in, there's some sort of behavioral problem um, that's going on, you know, seemingly all of a sudden. So let's say mom, dad, brother, sister are all there. And let's say brother, you know, is the identified client. So I kind of talked about the first session. So moving forward, I would try to build on those strengths. So one tool that I've used, and this is kind of more cognitive behavioral, because again, if families are coming in crisis, it's probably behavior oriented against something they've observed or heard at school is, is why they're coming in. So I would start, you know, with focusing on that behavior. So one tool that I've used for families or even large groups is something called what's working and what's not working. So I love it because you get to hear from everybody in the family, not just, you know, quote unquote, the problem um, child or the identified client, but from mom, dad, brother, sister. And you get to hear that again, that strengths-based approach of like, what is going well? And it can be anything, you know, maybe the son says he loves that, you know, his parents let him and spend time with friends or the daughter says, I like that we have family dinners once a week. It doesn't matter, you know, because again, you're looking at the entire family unit, right? And so I'm listening for, okay, who has the strong relationships here? Um, What can we lean on? What lever can we pull to help create that change? If dad and son have a stronger relationship than mom and son, then I will pull dad in more and say, okay, let's try these things. And I'm going to have you have the conversation with him rather than mom. So, you know, if dad, I mean, if the son says, 
I enjoy spending time with my friends, then maybe dad takes the friends to the batting cages or something, right? And you may think, well, how is that going to help change the behavior? But really it's, it shows trust, you know, that like an interest that he wants to get to know my friends. He trusts me with my friends and that, you know, over course of time can help in other areas, depending on what the behavior is. It may be some practical things too. Like we need to improve supervision. If, you know, the son is getting home from school and he's unsupervised for a period of time, maybe instead he goes to the friend's house, right? Or maybe there needs to be some more structure in the home, rules, rewards, consequences. Um, this is all, you know, behavioral oriented. Um, but even if we're working on behavior stuff, always, always in the family, I'm going to work on the relational side of things. What does quality time look like with the family? Again, whether it's family dinners or do y'all have game night once a week, or I mean, going swimming, you know, whatever it is that your family enjoys. I know the kids may roll their eyes. The teenagers may roll their eyes, but it will create memories and it will create connection. Even if you don't see the results in that <laughs> one hour of game night, you know, in the years and um, to come, they will remember that. And that will be, you know, what reinforces the connections um, that they have with their family. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. I mean, there are a lot of different things, you know, let's say there's a younger child, um, we might do some play therapy. Um, one technique that I have used is called sand tray. Kids love it because it's so tactile, sensory, right? It helps to ease the anxiety or nerves that they might have in the session. The parents kind of relax because I have them do it right along with the kids, right? right? Um, and, and model for the kids. Like, you know, this is what we're going to do here in family therapy. It's kind of more of an indirect way to find out even like, what are the family dynamics? You know, what, so in sand tray, I'll just share a little, you have these mini figures that the kids are using to create like a scene. So oftentimes I'll say like, what's a typical day look like in your home? And it's so interesting. Um, and you do ask questions to clarify at the end. Why did you choose the dinosaur for dad? Well, he's got a loud voice. So why did you choose the sheep for mom? Well, she's more quiet or whatever, you know. Um, but it does provide insight that they don't realize that they are providing. Mm-hmm. And just for the parents or the other family members to be able to hear that insight turns on a light bulb. Oh, I had no idea they saw me that way. And I will say, you didn't ask this question, but I'll add it. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, regardless. <laughs> of, you know, the type of therapy that you're doing or who all is present or how long you go, I think any of it can be beneficial because one, it's creating the time for your family to talk about these things. And two, therapy is beneficial because there's a third person there that's neutral and can moderate, you know, the conversation. So people oftentimes will tell me things in front of their family members they wouldn't tell a family member directly and all of that, you know, helps to, to, for them to communicate outside of the home as well as, you know, you just being there interrupts some of the patterns that they would normally do. So if normally, if uh, mom tries to talk to you, you go in your room and slam your door. Well, like you don't have that option when you're in the therapist's office. So you (laughs) might, you might employ a different device to tune her out, but but the therapist is there to kind of point out and to observe the interactions and then to ch- change some of those cycles. 
And you get a, you get a chance to practice doing something differently than you would at home. Right. And I will say, I mean, for parents that may be thinking, oh, my child would never do that. They're not going to talk. They're not going to participate. If your shot, if your child will show up to the office, Mm -hmm. we can start with that. That's a win. (laughs) Yes. If they don't say anything in session, we're not intimidated by that. Like, that's okay. You don't have to be embarrassed. Like it's our job to help make everybody comfortable and to do the work. So build on the fact that they will go to therapy and we'll pick up from there. So, yeah. And I, I think I agree with you and I may have said this before on the podcast, but when I was working in schools and I would pull a kid out for, you know, 20 minutes out of their school day to work with them, I, I always felt really limited in my ability to create change, you know, but when I got on the phone with their parents or when their parents came in for a meeting, I felt like, okay, here's where I can, I can change something because the parent has so much more time and so much more influence than the counselor. And that's why I shifted into working more with adults than kids. But I think even like you're saying, if, if your teenager shows up and doesn't say a word, and you're fighting about whether they have their earbuds in, you know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Yes. Like they're going to observe you getting the chance to change something with exactly. your therapist. Right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've seen it all. So I used my, I got started in the field um, working with kids that were court ordered because they were on juvenile probation. So mm-hmm. I've got, I've seen it all. <laughs> I can't surprise Lauren, huh? No. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So the other direction that I wanted to take you in was um, more of the spiritual aspect. So you had mentioned in an email to me that you feel passionate about family therapy because there's so much in scripture about how God values our families. And for us to have families that are loving and serving each other like that, that is what God wants. And I've, I mean, I feel similarly about marriage. I'm really passionate about marriage therapy because the Bible says that our marriages are a symbol of Christ in the church. And so if Christian marriages are suffering and ending, then that's not a great witness. And so Um, Tell us a little bit more about that passion that you have about families and how you see that um, come up through the scripture. Yeah, great. Um, I mean, yeah, I second what you're saying with, with marriage. And I see that both with marriage and, you know, with um, having and raising children and um, yeah, the scripture talks about the importance of family. Um, in the old Testament and the new Testament, um, the fact that children are a gift, um, the fact that Jesus wanted the children to come to him. I think that those two things can speak to the relational side of things, right? The emotional connection that we can have with our children. Um, but scripture also talks about discipline and training up a child in the way that he should go. Um, and I do think there is, you know, that's an important aspect of it. I think we can err on one side, you know, um, more than another and, and neglect, um, the discipline and just, you know, try to have happy kids and please everybody. Um, or we can err on the other side and try to just, you know, um, drill the rules in and, um, not have as much emotional connection. And I think 
the scripture is clear about both. And so there's a reason, you know, it, it's healthy for the kids. It, it challenges the parents to rely on the Lord, right? Because we can't do these things perfectly. The family is the foundational unit of society. Um, the Lord designed it. And so it is hugely important because that is what is shaping so much of who we are, right? I mean, some by nature, but a lot by nurture as well. Um, and so, um, and our relationship with our own heavenly father is talked about in scripture as well and modeled, of course, he's the perfect parent and we can't live up to that perfectly, but yeah, the family is responsible for creating the next generation more than schools, more than community, more than politics, more than the church, even it's the family. I am a Christian counselor, but not everybody that I see in my practice, you know, are believers and I'm upfront about that and I'm okay with that. And, (laughs) but I think family is so important, even for non-believers that um, it's, worthwhile to help the family unit be more cohesive and functional so that, I mean, you mentioned generational curses, um, that maybe I'll talk about that in your last episode. How do we break these generational curses? How do we change these patterns? Um, it's through doing the work, whether that is one person, it doesn't have to be just going to therapy. It can be discipleship. It can be, um, just making changes in your own life. Right. But for some of these patterns that have existed for so long in families, we need therapy and we need the whole family unit to be there to change so many dynamics. Exactly. Yeah. When you work with a Christian family versus a non-Christian family, what are some differences that you see either in what kind of work you do or the results that you have or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great question. I think, I mean, primarily it's the, probably the way we talk about things, you know, and, and even couples or families that do want Christian counseling, I try to clarify, what does that look like for you? What are you comfortable with? For some, it might just be a more theological type of incorporation. You know, what does God say about the dad's role, the mom's role, the children obeying the Lord or obeying their parents as unto the Lord. And for others, it can be praying in session. It can be books that they read, you know, have more of a Christian focus or scriptural background. If they're active in a church, we might pull in some of those church members, not necessarily to session, but you know, who they're spending time with, things like that. So again, I see it as, as a strength and just building on what they already have, whether it be their faith and how that's used in coping skills. That's definitely been something we've talked about before. And, you know, sometimes I do bring up scripture in session, um, maybe clarifying an interpretation of it or offering a second interpretation Mm -hmm. rather. So again, it can depend on the family, but those would be some things, you know, that would be a little bit more focused in a Christian family that is seeking that type of counseling. Mm -hmm. What about a family where let's say mom's a Christian and dad's not, or the parents are Christian and the teenagers has have decided that's not for me. Um, how do you deal with those kind of challenges? Yeah, it's, it can be tough. I mean, I know it's especially tough on the parents if, you know, like you said, one spouse is a believer and and one is not. Mm -hmm. Um, I think scripture is clear about, at the point that we are married, you know, to a non-believer, we 
stay married and we pray for that person. And it's really God's job to change their heart. Um, and I do feel like sometimes it is harder for parents to grasp that concept or to trust that the Lord's going to work in their child's heart. My kids, you know, are too young to be there Mm-hmm. probably. And so I can't fully put myself in that position. Um, but I can imagine how tough it would be, you know, to be a believer and have your child not be there or expressing, you know, opposite views. But I think at the end of the day, it comes back to God gives us the freedom to choose. And so who are we to, to not give our families that freedom, but leaning more on prayer and asking the Lord to change their hearts and loving them through our actions, through our time spent with them to model, you know, what parenthood looks like, healthy emotions look like. We can be faithful in our own quiet times and model what that looks like. We don't need to discount what our actions are in the home because those are the things that create like an internal movie in our kids' minds. And when they grow up and when they're living on their own and they're having their own families, that is going to be the default picture that they see. Um, They may not believe it for themselves, but when they don't know what to do, you know, later in life, they may default to that picture that they've seen over and over and over again, just by your faithful actions. Yeah. And I think as a parent myself, there's a lot of times I think like, okay, what, what kind of default picture am I creating? Like we all worry, like, how am I screwing up my kids? Like how much should I save for therapy right now (laughs) in the future? (laughs) (laughs) But to remember that you're also implanting some of those really positive images too, by modeling the kinds of the kind of life that would be pleasing to God. Exactly. Yeah. That's really interesting. Do you have any, any funny stories, anything embarrassing ever happened? <laughs> that is really funny. Most of my embarrassing stories were doing the in-home family counseling through community mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, maintaining confidentiality. Right, right. Of course. I would say one of the things that was hilarious when I did community mental health, again, this was, you know, through a contract with the probation department. So I did in-home family therapy and you can imagine going into people's homes. I mean, I did that for years, a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So over the course of time, you see some very interesting situations um, and just you never know who is going to be there when you walk in, right? Um, What's going to be going on when you walk in? One situation was um, I had called and called and called a family and they didn't answer. And so I showed up because again, these are mandated. So they did answer the door, but it was after a very long period of time. All the fans were going in the house. The back door was open. There were clearly some recreational activities that had been going on prior to session. So, you know, I didn't say anything to embarrass anybody, but we just continued on ahead with, with therapy, you know, Um, but it was, it was quite entertaining. I definitely went back and, you know, told my boss. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just glad you didn't say I went back and ate some Cheez-Its. Oh no, no. The smell is not still there. Okay. Right. No. (laughs) When I was an intern, I, I also worked in like, um, 
CPS reunification. So kids who had been removed from their families due to abuse or neglect or drug use or whatever were reunifying with their parents. And so sometimes I'd work with the parents to support that process. And sometimes I'd work with the kids. And what ended up happening is that I also worked with a lot of other caretakers, whether that be grandparent, auntie, uh, foster parent, whatever, a lot of different dynamics that go on in there. And okay. I can remember one time a, a child was brought in. I think it was a grandma or something that brought her in. And I think that some people, they know like we're professionals, but like I'm a master's level therapist. I don't have a doctorate. So you don't see doctor in front of my name, but some people don't understand the difference there. And so she thought I was a doctor for one thing. I'm not a doctor. She thought I was a doctor. And then for the other thing, if I were a doctor, it wouldn't be that kind of doctor. (laughs) So so she actually um, took off her socks and shoes and was showing me her bunions and corns. (laughs) And I'm sitting here thinking like, this session has really gotten away from me. (laughs) And also I can't help with that. (laughs) I cannot help you with that oh my goodness that, yeah yeah hadn't yeah. forgotten about that one huh? yeah you see some weird things in this job <laughs> yes yeah so yeah. okay well I want to also ask you my wrap-up question which is what are you doing for soul care yeah that's a great one I would say well two things one really is time in the word that is truly the only thing that sustains me and nourishes me on a regular ongoing basis. And it sounds super spiritual, but let me tell you, it is in the morning in our recliner with the kids eating their breakfast, their, you know, non-nutritious cereal with Mm -hmm. cartoons on Mm -hmm. because that's the only time (laughs) I can do it. If I wait until after that TV goes off, it can get lost too easily among all the other things to do. So it's not with a candle and, you know, a hot (laughs) cup of coffee. It's often cold by that time overlooking some scenic landscape Um, and the beautiful journal. (laughs) And sometimes it's five minutes because that's all I have. Well, actually, thank you for kind of describing how that actually looks, (laughs) because I think a lot of people, um, especially if you're in the stage of raising young children, or if you're just like in a really intense season of developing your career or you're in college or whatever, like you feel like you don't have time to do it, but for a real life person to come on here and say, there's cartoons on there's cereal and it might be five minutes. (laughs) Like, I think that makes it a lot more realistic for people to find a spot to get it in. And then, I mean, the other thing is time with people. I'm a quality time person. So that could be date nights with my husband. Again, it's sometimes it's something special, but most of the times it's just getting a bite to eat. Again, we just got back from a family trip. So, you know, that was a nice change of pace and making memories. Um, And then I have a great group of girlfriends from college, you know, that we try to get together every so often and have an annual girls trip, but just being with people where I'm not on, where I can um, be nourished by those relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, Those two things are really what get me through. Are you an extrovert? I am. Yeah. Okay. So that was part of the reason I had to go back to work too. Just being inside these four walls five days a week wasn't, you know, energizing me. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, for sure. I get that. I'm an extrovert as well. And so, and I think maybe like that's, partly why you were willing to do the podcast with me today, (laughs) because you're like, 
new friend. Okay. <laughs> I can do that. As extroverts, we find a way to just connect yeah. with people, right? <laughs> I can be friends with you. Exactly. <laughs> we'll <work it> out. <laughs> exactly. So. Okay. Well, I really appreciate that you took the time today. I know your kids stayed quiet all, the whole time. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, so you're going to go back to your preschool life and I'm going to go pick up kids from school exactly. and, and be a therapist tomorrow. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. It can be done. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here and sharing of your course. expertise. Thank you for having me. The soul grit podcast is a production of soul grit resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soulgrit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com. <laughs>